have really been impressed by the Lord to share with you tonight, at least for a portion of time, something that God really brought home to me some time ago. And I have felt that all day. And so I'm going to break tradition and uh, just go right on with a few scribble notes. And uh, you can probably tell maybe that it uh, maybe hasn't been delved into a lot, but I just want to kind of leave you with a thought tonight. And you'll find this in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. It's hard to know a starting place without starting to the complete first of the chapter, but I would rather not do that. So I would like to start at the 17th verse, and you just follow along with me. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, 17th verse. Well, let's try the 16th, and it says, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, we're getting some real good comments on that. But now, we're not going to go into that, but I really have some things that when most husbands say amen, and that's good because they start saying, oh, me, by the time I get through. That's bad. So we'll just kind of go over that just a little bit. we get to that sometime later. But it says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their own wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord, Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, I read all of that to get to this portion for this cause, 31st verse. Shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be, or shall be one flesh. Now, many times 
As a reference, the church in Christ is referred to as husband and wife. Now, there is a reason for that. And in this 31st verse, it says, And they too, talking about the husband and wife, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now, when we look at that, sometimes it's hard to understand. I can see how we can be one in the spirit, but even as much as I love my wife, we are still two completely different individuals. We are not one in the flesh. Now the Apostle Paul says in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning or about or in we of Christ and the church. So when you look at it, you're asked the question, what is the mystery? What is he talking about? And let's reiterate that again for this cause. Shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh? Now how is this possible? And I'm sure most of you are ahead of me. It's simple. They become one flesh only one way. And that's through their children. So the church, and this is a mystery that he's talking about, the church, in order to be one flesh with Christ, must bear children. Is that all right? I don't know what about you, but this old boy is getting hungry to see some children born. There's nothing greater, there's, I don't suppose, but one miracle greater than a natural birth. I mean, I had four children, I've got 14 grandchildren, and it still hasn't become old. It's something inside that really thrills you. But there's one thing that supersedes that, and that's to watch a child be born into the kingdom of God. To watch a church to veil and birth and pain to be delivered, bring forth a child that's crying, Abba, Father, and he's become alive. Hallelujah. I said he's become alive. So the great mystery, I suppose you would call it great, the Apostle Paul did. The great mystery is the church, in order to be one flesh with God or with Christ, must bear children. Now then, we're just adults here, so I can speak pretty plain. Is that all right? Now, how do you bear children? Let's go with the natural. For a wife to become with child by her husband, she must have a relationship with him. She must become intimate with him. She must accept his seed in order to be with child. Now let me be just as plain as I can with it. To kiss your wife, she doesn't become with child. To give her a pat or to give her a hug or a passing fancy, she doesn't become with child. There is a relationship there. There is an intimacy there that has to come about. And she must be receptive to that intimacy. She must be desirous 
to come become with child with her husband and accept the seed of her husband. And this being the case, it stands to reason that the same is true with the church. If there ever was a time the church needs an intimate relationship with God, it's now. I mean, there's a scripture says, kiss the son lest he be angry. Well, let me tell you, we need to go farther than that. We need an intimate relationship with Christ. We need to get past the kissing and the hugging stage and the waving stage. And we need to get into the presence of God and have an intimate relationship with Him and accept His seed and become with child. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. Now then, Let's just kind of pass over that for a few minutes. Reminisce in our own life. Now, I can't talk to us as individuals, understand? I've got to talk to us as a group, as a representative body of Christ that we all are a part of. I've got to consider that we all part of the body of Christ. Each one has a certain place, and we make up the church and that Christ is or Paul is talking to the church and he's saying in essence if you want to be one with Christ as a congregation and as a group you have to become one flesh with him which simply means you have to bear children it's been some years I'm sure my son-in-laws my daughters can remember it and it's been a little while but it was almost a part of the services in the church that we came from and was there for 19 years, almost 20. Very seldom a service ever went by but what that church gave birth to a child or several children. And it become a way of life with them. And then finally they become proud as if they were doing this of their own setting sometimes in rebellion and after that Christ made them barren. Now I don't know about you but it's hard for me to live in a barren church. Alright? Is that alright? It's hard for me to exist in a church where children are not being born. And that simply is up to the church. How do you accept the seed of Christ? I think that's a question that Really, for anybody that knows Bible at all, it's not hard to understand. St. Luke, I think, points it out in the parable of the sower of the seed. And Jesus brings it down in verse 11 of the 8th chapter, I believe it is, 8th chapter. And he says, the seed is the word of God. So we're getting down really tonight to the nitty-gritty. That the church must accept, not only enjoy but it must accept the seed which is the word of God it must accept it in so much that it becomes impregnated by it and does its part with it until you find a child within the womb of the church and once that child is there then the mother has to take care of herself she has to watch what she's doing she has to watch what she eats she has to watch how she exercises because that thing with inside of her is an important thing. She wants to bring it to birth. 
The same way with the church. After we have accepted the seed, which is the word of God, it's not all over yet. Back to business is, it has just begun. There is some things that the mother has to realize. The seed is the word of God. In order for the church to bear children, it has to be intimate with Christ. It has to accept the seed, which is the word of God. Now, we're living in a day and hour where abortions are prevalent. Amen? And uh, a lot of people are becoming intimate, sometimes with their husbands or others. And they become with child, and it seems like a precious thing for a moment. But then the mother begins to look around and realize that her lifestyle might have to change. Amen? She might have to do some things different than she has ever done it before. And sometimes this causes a mother to abort the child. Why? Simply because there is a demand for a change of lifestyle. A lifestyle changed before this child is born and certainly a lifestyle changed after the child is born. For we are no longer living then to ourselves to enjoy the comforts of ourselves and we've got some little something there that can't help itself and it's going to take your time and your energy and move you from selfishness to selfish selflessness. And a lot of times, could I bring it down to here and I don't know you, see? Right now I don't know you, so I'm a little bit free. Maybe later on I'll, I can take, take the kickback. But right now, I don't know you. But I'm talking about every church, every body of Christ, and every church that desires to become with child, once it becomes with child, then it begins to look at what changes is going to have to take place in its life. A change of lifestyle. And because of this, a lot of times, because the mother doesn't recognize there is a need, a change for a lifestyle, because she goes on doing the things she always done, irregardless of that unborn thing that's in her womb, a lot of times the child is just simply just aborted for no reason seemingly other than the mother simply doesn't change her lifestyle. Others are aborted because the mother simply won't take care of herself. Now then we need to stop here long enough as a congregation, ask ourselves, have we ever become with child, and then refuse to accept the fact that we were, as a church, change our lifestyle, so to speak, and not take care of ourselves as a church. We need to face these issues, whether we're guilty or not, we need to look at them. Of course, what God has in store, what God wants out of us, out of this congregation, is dependent upon our ability to be intimate with Christ. Depends upon our ability to want a child, to take care of ourselves while the child is in the womb, and to change our complete lifestyle in a sense after the child is born. A lot of couples don't want children. I'm not down on you for that other than I think the great mystery 
that the Apostle Paul was talking about has to come about when the church becomes with child. If we're ever going to be one place with Christ, we have to be that through the children that we bring into the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I want to be one place with him, all right? I desire that. Now, there's sometimes some malady or some weakness in the mother that causes abortions, that causes a child to be aborted. I think that's something that we need to look at closely as a church and as a congregation and see if there's some weakness or some malady or something there. Maybe we're uh, refusing the diet that we ought to have. Maybe we're not eating properly. Maybe we're missing meals. Amen, Brother Hoskall. You ever miss a meal? Huh? It seems to be a lot easier to miss spiritual meals than it is natural meals. But it's just important to have a spiritual meal as it is, or more so than to have a natural meal. And remember now, once you become with child, you're not eating just for yourself. Amen. You might get by with it. But how about that child in your womb? How about it? Well, it got get by with it. So we need to check ourselves, and I'm putting checks and balances on us. We need to check ourselves as a church and ask ourselves, is there any weaknesses in any maladies, any sicknesses in us? If there is, that's for God's sake, get them out and become a strong, healthy mother. That's desirous of taking care of that which is in the womb and desirous of bringing forth healthy child of God. A child is born. So we've got this far. The mother has become intimate, has had a relationship with the father. A child is born. She's taken care of herself. What type of a mother is she born to? I've seen children born to mothers that were still children themselves. That makes for a bad deal. You know that? because they can't see any farther than themselves. That's as far as they can see their children themselves. They still have childish attitudes and childish ways, and the child suffers. The child is abused a lot of times simply because the mother is just a child herself. Now, there's no wonder that the Apostle Paul was always on to the churches, everyone he wrote to, concerning maturity and a growth. Because he was concerned about what type of mother they were. Should they become with child and have a child, could they rear that child right? And he was always asking them to dig into the Word of God, to be strong in the Lord, to be mature in the Lord, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and put away childish things and become an adult. So that when this happens, the child is born and the mother is a mature individual. Now Jesus does say that it's possible with the church to bear children and the church still be a child itself. He says in Matthew eleven sixteen, but whereunto shall I liken to this generation? It's likened to children sitting in the marketplace and calling into their fellows we have piped unto you, and you have not danced. In other words, he was pointing out the immaturity of that day. 
When one said, well, I did this for you and there was no response from you. And another said, well, I did it for you and there was no response from you. And instead of becoming adults and growing in the grace and knowledge of the truth, Hebrews 5.12 brings it more down to our day. That says, for when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again. Now, I noted that word for the first time again. You ever saw that? In other words, that word is important. It says, in a sense, that they had been taught before. In other words, he was saying something that a lot of people in the church don't like. The Apostle Paul was saying there is a need of repetition. Over and over and over and over and over until it's rooted and grounded in your heart, in your soul, until it naturally just becomes a part of you. And he said you have need that one teach you again. Now, Paul, what are you talking about? What do they need to be taught? Well, Paul says in Titus, somewhere about the second chapter, he told the aged women to be teachers of good things. Now we're with the women, all right? He said the aged women, you be teacher of good things. Now, it's hard to teach good things when you're with soap operas all day long. Am I right? It's hard to teach good things when your mind is wandering here and there someplace all day long. It's hard to teach good things until we get in the Word of God and become solid in it because the only good thing there is comes from the Word of God. And when we're not in the Word of God, now don't tell me that things can't take preeminence, they can. I have a sermon that says you are what you eat, and that's exactly right. What you eat, what you digest, what you put in your heart and mind all day is what you are that night and the next day. You're exactly what you eat. Your mind is exactly what you put in it. You put foolishness in it and it stays there. You put love in it and it's there. You put bitterness in it and it's there. And then you put the power of God inside of it and you can do something the next day. Amen, Brother Hostel. That's good. Amen. Teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober. That doesn't mean not drink. That's good. That's good. Teach them not to drink. But that, to be sober. To love their husbands. Not any aged women around here get on the ball here. Start teaching them, these young ladies, to love their husbands. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. To love their children. Now somebody said, well, that's foolish. Have you ever looked at the records of child abuse? Have you ever seen what happens to a child that, that, that is without love? Mothers don't love their children, never been taught to love their children. We like to put it on this generation. That brother, I like to look at the generation that produced this generation. 
and see where we were at and what we were doing and the type of teaching we were giving our children. You know the greatest teacher of children today? Television. Set them in front of it. Let them have it. Keep out of your hair. Keep quiet. Turn on some silliness of some type. Fill their little minds with that. And then wonder why when they grow up at a certain age they want nothing to do with God and everything to do with the world because we've fed them that. We've taught them that. Is this all right? How many still love me now? <laughs> oh, hallelujah. To love their children. Nothing any more precious. Now, I'm saying all of this simply because I'm bringing this back again to relationship with the church. That the church should be taught to be sober. To love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet and separate, to be chaste and keepers at home and obedient to their own husbands. Now why must we do all of this? A lot of reasons why we can sum it all up like this. That the word of God be not blasphemed. In other words, that the seed, which is the word of God, be not blasphemed, put aside, unacceptable. The Lord had quite a time with Israel and Judah. They played the harlot more times than one. Wouldn't accept his seed, become child with him, well, a child with him, but accepted the seed of strangers. More children to them. Talking about children and the love that seems to be gone, there's one thing I'll never forget and I want to relate it to you and show you that the love of children needs to be taught. Somebody said it's a natural thing for us to love a child. If this be the case, then why in God's name are so many of them abused and mistreated? I still say with innocent again, there has to be a teaching of love and how it comes about. I think a natural mother instinct, somebody that knows God, to love their child, that still there's a teaching of a greater love. I worked as a security officer for Bourne Center some years ago. I was called one night to a disturbance, went down on the wing where the disturbance was. I had found that uh, several of the older boys had taken a young girl and tried to molest her. She must have been seven or eight years old. And uh, they had taken her clothes off of her. We took charge of the young men, and I went in to see if the, the girl was hurt with the nurse. I looked at that beautiful, beautiful face, and I saw something that really, well, I can't get it out of my mind. And I know that this happens probably every day. But I'd never saw the child. She was beautiful from the face up. Such a beautiful child. She was retarded. But anyway, I saw her from about here on down, and she was just a mass of scars and tissues and, and so on. And I said, what in God's name ever happened to this child? And the lady said, haven't you read the child's chart? And I said, no, I haven't read their, their chart. So they pulled the chart and let me read it. And to make a long story short, this child was crying, 
It was throwing a tantrum, so to speak, the mother said. She couldn't keep it quiet, so she went and run some water in the tub. Hot water. As hot as she could get it. And set that little girl down in that tub. And this just blowed her mind and her brain. She'd never been the same since, and she'd been burned on the lower part of her body. Another thing happened right in our little town of Rosie Claire, where you think nothing would ever happen. A young mother become dismayed about something. Nobody knows exactly what happened. She took her little child that was crying and dropped it down in the well, left it there and told somebody that somebody had stolen the child. Later on, they found out she had dropped it. Nobody knows why she did or anything. What I'm trying to say, friend, is there's a devil loose out here there's a power of hell that's stronger than we are, and there's but one way to do that, and that's for the mother to be up and about her father's business. There's a world out here that needs to be won. There's a world out here that's lost. There's a world out here that's dying and undone. And it's up not only to the mother to be concerned about her children, we need to be concerned about becoming with child. Ezekiel, I think, kind of sums that up pretty good as it says, as is the mother, so is her daughter. Now that says something to me, and I think you'll pretty well find that to be so in the natural, and I think probably you'll find that to be so in the spiritual. As the mother is, that's the way her daughter is. I mean, however you are as the mother, whatever your actions are, whatever your takes preeminence in your life, whatever preoccupies you, whichever direction you're going, that's the way the child's going to go. Whatever you set before it, the lifestyle you set before it, that's the lifestyle it's going to try to live. So you see, we have quite a responsibility. And the Apostle Paul says again, I speak a great mystery. And the great mystery is that we accept the seed of God and become with child, become one flesh with him. How much time have I got? I would like for us to go over to Hebrews, the sixth chapter, and I want to talk a little bit from there on maturity. Now, Brother Lee covered this pretty well, but I want to interject a few thoughts if I could. Now, the Bible says all Scripture is given for inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction, for instructions, all of those things that uh, God might, we might be thoroughly furnished through God. Now then, we're a church. We're the body of Christ. We need to bear children. We need to mature so that we can bring forth mature children are, are good children, healthy children. And he gives us some advice here that I don't think ought to be overlooked. As he says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Now then, let's look at that word, leaving the principles. Let's look at the word leaving. It doesn't mean to discard them. It doesn't mean to do away with the principles of the doctrine of Christ. That's what established us. That's what makes us what we are. But he's simply talking in terms like this. 
as a tree leaves its roots, but yet never completely lets them go and becomes more dependent upon those roots than it ever has. How more it grows, the more dependent it becomes on the roots, but the farther away it gets from the roots. In other words, as a tree leaves its roots, or as a scholar leaves the letter of the alphabet, Remember when you was a scholar, whenever you first started A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z, you knew them, and that was fine. But then you had to learn how to make sentences out of them, or words out of them, and sentences out of them, and paragraphs out of them, until finally they come to the place you can use this alphabet to write a thesis. So you're actually growing in this, leaving the letter, so to speak, as they were, and growing in this, and employing the power that's inside of those letters. There's power in the alphabet, but leave it like it is, very little power in it. But learn how to use it, and that's the way the Holy Spirit is. There's power in the Holy Spirit. Learn how to use the Holy Ghost, and learn how to let it use you. And once this happens in our soul and in our life, we learn how to employ the power. And it says, let us go on into perfection, into maturity. Maturity of knowledge. Maturity of experience. Maturity of Christian conduct. Does God expect the same out of everybody? I think that's a good question. I think the church has missed the point there. Because God doesn't expect the same out of everybody. God doesn't expect, uh, I, I'm a father, I didn't expect the same out of my children when they were toddlers as I do now. There were certain things I expected out of them for them to be perfect at that age, amen? But then when they grew, I didn't want them doing those things anymore. I wanted them to be mature and perfect at that age. And God expects the same thing out of us as we grow, coming from the baby stage. Where we can't hardly talk, we hardly know what's going on around us. And all we can depend on is for Mama, which is the church to guide us and lead us and direct us and feed us. Give us our pacifier. You know, I don't mind babies having a pacifier. I don't mind babies wanting a bottle. But you know what is really sickening is to see a 10 or 12 year old boy or girl with a bottle stuck in their mouth. Well, it's no different with spiritual maturity. A lot of us never got past the milk stage. We still like to have a pacifier every once in a while. Somebody's sticking in their mouth. You look ridiculous, by the way, unless you're just a baby. All right, and a lot of us are, are not babies. There's a baby stage. You come to the toddler stage. Do you ever notice how selfish the toddlers are? I mean, if they got a toy, that's their toy. They don't know how to share Remember going right back again? Teach them. Teach them. Don't get down on them because they're selfish. They're at that stage. Church, love them. Teach them how to be unselfish in these areas. But it's hard for a baby to teach a baby. Amen. <laughs> but actually, that's, that's what he's saying. Maturity and certain stages of maturity... And then it grows out of that stage until it comes to the place where it can share pretty well. But then it gets in another stage. 
I know I raced four of them at once, teenagers. Just about as rebellious a group as you can get. <laughs> and when you get a bunch of teenage spiritual babies, you got a few problems, but you need to love them and teach them and work them through this stage and make them submissive to God. Don't get down on them. Don't tromp, trample on them because God's not expecting out of them what He's expecting out of you. And then when you become an adult, when I was a child, I obeyed my dad because I feared him. Because if I didn't do it, he was going to whop me, so to speak. I mean, he's going to lay the wood to me, and so I was about as good as I possibly could be because I feared him. But there come a time in my life that I wasn't afraid of my dad whipping me. Been a long time. I was a big old boy. I wasn't afraid. But what if I wanted to stop him, I could. But I obeyed my father out of respect for him. And when you are mature, you will not be obedient because you're afraid. You'll be obedient because you respect God and respect his commandments and respect his laws. That's a sign of maturity. Not because you're afraid you're going to get whipped or beat or the preacher's going to get on you or God's going to do something to you. You simply obey him because you respect him. And then when God comes along and lays his shillelagh on you, you don't retaliate. I didn't. I remember one time. How many of you know my mom? She stands right in under here. I mean, she's, she's right here. And I was a great big old teenage boy, just full of rebellion and... I was mouthing her off or something, and she kind of tiptoed. It's kind of got now where she got on a chair. I don't remember getting on a chair, but she certainly tiptoed and boxed my jaws real good. And, of course, I stood there and looked at her, and I said, You better never do that again. And about that time, she took me on the other side. What could I do? If I reverenced and respected her, I stood there and took it, knowing that I needed it. I respected her anyway. Perfection of Christian conduct. Foundation, not laying again the foundation. The Bible says no other foundation can be laid to that which is laid. But a foundation is laid. Now, how do you leave the foundation? Simply the way a builder leaves the foundation as he builds it. He's still on it. He adds more weight to it as he goes up block by block and brick by brick or wood by wood, but he's always on the foundation, but he's always leaving the foundation. That's what God is talking about. Build on that foundation. Grow on that foundation. Go up with this thing until your life is complete in the fullness of the power of the Holy Ghost. Let's give God a real good hand because of his power and because of his glory. Stone by stone, Brick by brick, always leaving it and yet always on it. That's what God is talking about. Repentance. Repentance. Two words used in the Bible for repentance. Metamaloma, the Greek, which is simply sorrow. Just sorry. You know, it made God sorry because it repented him or he was sorry that he did this or that. But the one that he's talking about for us is metano, which simply means turning from sin and turning to God. That's repentance. 
doesn't mean just turning from sin because you get in trouble doing that. In order to turn from sin and stay turned from sin, you have to turn to God. Then there's inward experiences of faith. But it says from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, which is plural, of the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permits. Now, I was in for a surprise when I read the original on this. It's talking about the, the subject of the matter is perfection. When you pick all of that out, the subject is perfection. And it simply says, this will we do. In other words, we will go on in the perfection as God permits. In other words, as we come into a position for an advance in Christ. You see, you have to qualify for an advancement in God. Your life has to be one as such that merits an advancement in God. And we will go on into perfection as our position in Christ merits an advancement. And then it goes on to say, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Two classifications of people there. Some only taste it. Now you can't get too much happening when you just taste. Amen? Not much nourishment when you just taste. But it says they have tasted of the good word of God or tasted of the heavenly gift and some were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. That says it is impossible. In other words, the word is beyond remedy. Now, whether we like to believe it or not, all throughout the Bible there has been nations and cities and individuals that have got beyond remedy. Now, there is a saying, and I like that, there is no sin the cross cannot cancel, but the sin that cancels the cross. And when we get so far into God and become so reprobate in our minds until we no longer think that we have to repent and let the blood of Christ cleanse us anew and afresh, then that sin is canceling the cross and it's beyond remedy. Anything we ask forgiveness for until the end of this age, God is willing to do it. The problem is we get sometimes in our lusts of the place so much that we never ask forgiveness for it and that sin is canceling the cross. And so the cross can't cancel the sin. Impossible. Sodom and Gomorrah got beyond remedy. Jericho, the seat of uh, worship of Asheroth, a consortium Baal was without remedy. Nineveh had its cup full. Capernaum was indifferent to the unbelief of the sin that was there. And then in closing, individuals like Pharaoh wouldn't be humble. But God broke to pride. Saul pitted his will against God's will. He was reproved but went his way until there was no remedy. The question we'd like to leave you here with is, after God has been exhausted, what's left?
when we have exhausted God and exhausted His mercy and exhausted His power, what's left? A certain judgment that falls upon us. But I speak in closing to you, Paul says, a great mystery. We want to be one with Christ. We as a body of believers here tonight want to be one in Christ. We are one in Christ through the children that we bring forth in this assembly. Now, we have two different directions we can go. We can prepare ourselves, accept the seed which is the word of God. It doesn't have to come from me. It could come from you, come from laymen, individuals. But the word of God is the word of God. And whether we like it or not, it needs to be accepted. To become intimate, a good relationship. Again, get past the kissing and hugging stage and get intimate with God with a relationship where we accept his seed and become with the child. Then be careful what we eat. Be careful what we do. Bring forth a bouncing baby boy or girl. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty to see that type of a move. There's a wind that's blowing. Two, in fact. There's an ill wind that's blowing across the land. When evil is lurking, false church is rising. But at the same time, there's a wind that's blowing. A wind that's moving. It wants to enter in with the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Fill all the house where in their setting. Now, I've been classified as a fool for a long time, but I think if I live my allotted time, I'm going to be able to see the time when people will be worshiping and praising God and having their hands upraised in the assembly and the whole building filled with individuals being born by the Spirit of God and speaking in tongues wherever they're at in the congregation. I believe that's just right around the corner. I love you. I appreciate you. Appreciate your interest. And uh, invite me to supper sometime. God bless you.